Hello and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's good to have you with us today. We uh, made a last-minute decision to cancel worship service at Harlan First United Methodist Church. We had just decided to resume services, but then on Saturday night, Shelby County Public Health uh, encouraged organizers of social gatherings and events to cancel them. And so we want to be good stewards of our health, and we want to follow those who know what they're talking about. And so we have called off the service. We ended up recording the service at 10.30 in the morning in church instead of having the congregation present. And we're going to continue recording services until the foreseeable future, unless cases go down again for a period of two weeks. But right now, they are going up pretty quickly. So we're not in a hurry to get back. We know that we can practice our faith without gathering together weekly, although we do look forward to the day when we can get together weekly. Nonetheless, we are continuing in our summer journey through the book of Exodus. And we're going to be covering a lot of ground again, just like we did last time. We're going to be going through Exodus chapters 25 through 31. We've been following Moses as he leads his people through the wilderness towards the promised land. And you may remember last week that they made camp at Mount Sinai and then they received the law. Well, today they're actually just doing the same thing. They're still at Mount Sinai receiving the law. And that's because the law consists of more than just uh, moral rules and regulations, but it also has to do with how they practice their religion, like how they observe their festivals, the different uh, sacrifices that they're supposed to give, including you know, what they do with some of the organs of the animals that they sacrifice, where they splash the blood, and all kinds of exciting stuff like that. So in our particular scripture reading today, it talks about detailed instructions for making the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Now, I know that uh, we all have different ideas of what it means for the Bible to be inspired. Biblical inspiration is a hard term to really define, and so we might not all agree on what it means to say that the Bible is inspired, but no matter what your belief is, there are some parts of the Bible that are just hard to read. And Exodus 25 through 31 is one of those parts because it gives so many detailed instructions on how to build the tent of meeting, everything down to what to hang in the courtyard, what material to make the curtains out of, uh, you know, where to put the lampstands, what oil to use in the lamps, you know, the bread and the table for the bread of presence and the altar for burnt offerings and all these details, it's, it's a hard read. You know, it's almost kind of like a reference work instead of a, a book or a section of scripture that you'd read through all at once. And so it's what we would might consider a dry part of the Bible. It's not that exciting or it doesn't seem that relevant to us. And so, first of all, what is the tent of meeting? Well, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle both same thing. The tabernacle refers to kind of like a portable sanctuary. It's the place where they believed that God dwelt and all of their communication with God took place in the tent of meeting after they built it. So the tent of meeting is kind of like what they would later have when King Solomon builds the temple. But of course the temple is built when they're settled in one place. 
Now they're a nomadic people group. They move from place to place, and so they need a portable temple. And so that's what it is. It's made in such a way that they can disassemble it when they're moving from one place to another, and then reassemble it. The Tent of Meeting has three different areas in the layout, and each area has a different level of holiness and different restrictions on who can go into it. So real quick, uh, the first part we'll talk about is the holiest part of the Tent of Meeting. This is the Holy of Holies, holier than any other part. In fact, this is a room that is restricted. Only the high priest can go in this room. Not even every priest, but only the high priest can go in this room and only once a year to offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for all of the people. I like to think that perhaps when they went in there that one day of the year, they also did some cleaning too, because it's hard to imagine how dusty that place would have gotten if only one person goes in there once a year. But anyway, this is the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant is held, and within the Ark are the Ten Commandments on the Tablets of Stone. So it's a very special place. The second area is a room that is still pretty holy, but not as holy as the Holy of Holies. And I think that may be the most holies I've ever used in a sentence in my life. But no, this second room is not as holy, but it's still pretty holy. And so there are a few more people who can go in this room to do sacrifices for different occasions. Any priest can go in this room. So it's not just the high priest, it's any priest. But still, regular folks cannot go in this room. And then the third zone is the courtyard, which surrounds everything else. Anybody can go in the courtyard. Whether you're a priest or not, you are allowed in the courtyard. So you could still participate in religious life, uh, just not the same as if you were a priest or the high priest. This layout of the Tent of Meeting would be pretty similar to the layout of the temple later on when it was built. You know, I don't think that I have ever preached on this section of Scripture before. As I said, it's hard for us to read. And so... We, there's a few questions that came to my mind when I thought about this. First of all, an obvious question is, why is there so much detail on the building of the tent of meeting? Everything down to the material for the curtains and what they should hang on the walls in the courtyard. You know, it's like God is an interior decorator here. Does he really care about all of these details of the tent of meeting? People read this differently. For some people who believe that every part of the law came directly from the Word of God, from the mouth of God, then yes, God must care about every detail of the Tent of Meeting. However, some people believe that whereas there are some parts of the law that may have come from God, there could also be some parts in here that uh, perhaps it came more from the people and they placed it in the mouth of God. It's possible. But in any case... The fact is that these details are here in the scripture. Now, it's interesting to note that the layout of the temple and the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, is very similar to the layout of temples of other Canaanite religions in those days, which seems to imply that the Israelites may have borrowed some of the ideas from their Canaanite neighbors in the creation of their temple. But nonetheless... The fact remains that all of these details are in our scriptures that we consider to be inspired, however you define that. So why? Why is there so much detail? 
Well, there's a lot of detail on this because it mattered to the Hebrew people. Let's just admit it. It doesn't matter to us. It's not relevant to us. You know, we worship God in many different ways. Our worship today does not resemble the worship of the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form. So it's not relevant to us. We don't care, you know, because it's just so far removed from us that it it doesn't have any relevancy to our life today. But these details mattered a great deal to the Hebrews of that day because they lived that out every day. You know, it was kind of like a... Like I said, it's kind of like a handbook for how to do their religion and how to practice the sacrifices. Kind of like a reference work that you go to when you need to look up something. In our own church, we have something called the Book of Discipline, which is a really exciting book that talks about how committees are organized, how many people can be on the different committees, what the responsibilities of the different committees are in the local church. It also talks about the organization of the... uh, the district church, the statewide church, uh, just the worldwide church, just all kinds of things in there. And it's a good reference work. I I reference this book uh, quite often as I do my work. But to just read it through cover to cover would be kind of difficult. And that's how I think of this Exodus 25 through 31. It's kind of like a reference work or a manual, if you will, for their religion. So it matters to them. That's why there's so much detail. And this is a good reminder for us that when we come across parts of the Bible that we consider to be dry or boring, whether it be lists or genealogies or detailed instructions like this, that it's a reminder to us that the Bible is not all about us. Yes, we believe that God speaks to us through the Bible, but the Bible was not originally written for us. It was written for them especially Exodus. It was written for the Hebrew people, not us. Now, as I said, God speaks to us through it still, but nonetheless, because of the fact that it was written for them initially, some things are not going to be very relevant to us. So, nonetheless, we believe this is inspired scripture, and so we believe that God is speaking to us through it. So, how how is God speaking to us through it? Well, first of all, just as a historical reference, it opens up our eyes to the ways that people once worshipped God in the past. And since we worship the same God, there should be at least some little bit of curiosity into how they did it. But beyond just a historical artifact, this scripture reminds us that God cares about the details. God cares about the little things. God cares about the details of your life. I Sometimes it doesn't feel as though God cares because it seems he's so far off and uninvolved, but God cares. How many of you have ever gone to God in prayer and said, well, you started giving a prayer concern, but then you feel guilty about it because you realize that your concern is not nearly as serious as some people. You're still blessed. And your problem, no matter what it may be, at least you're not starving to death like many people in the world. So how many of you have ever come to God with a prayer request and you were a little guilty because it wasn't as bad as some of them? Well, I would imagine many. It's it's, it's noble to be others-centered, but at the same time, scriptures like this remind us that God cares. God cares about your concerns, no matter how small they may be. 
It's not like our concerns have some kind of a point system, and if our concern gets enough points of severity, then God listens. God cares about what we care about, no matter how big or small it may seem, and God cares about the details. So, as we look at this scripture of the tent of meeting, uh, we think about what this has to say today. And as we think about what it has to say today, another question that we need to ask is, why doesn't God give us specific instructions today? You know, why doesn't he? You know, just like he did with the tent of meeting, we could use some detailed instructions today for a number of topics. I could just imagine going to God in prayer and saying, God, you know how you gave the Hebrew people so many detailed instructions for the tent of meeting, everything down to what they hang in the courtyard and what they should make the curtains out of? Well, that's all well and good, God. I'm, I'm sure they really appreciated that. I wonder if you could do this something similar for us. I, I wonder, could you please just give us detailed instructions on what we should do as we go into the fall with school and many other events? What should we do? Could you just give us... Give us all the details, God, about when exactly we should start school and how exactly we should run school so that nobody gets sick. Could you please give us those details? No? Okay, well then, how about this? God, could you give us uh, details for how we can build reconciliation and peace and cooperation amongst people of different political backgrounds? No? Okay, well, well how about this, God? you know, at least thinking about the church, Lord, could you give us all the details about when we should resume in-person worship and if we do what that would look like? Can you tell us exactly what kind of precautions we should take into place to keep people safe? And then when we do resume in-person worship services, would you tell us uh, when we should go back to virtual services? I mean, I'm talking dates here, God. I need specific dates. <laughs> this is a silly prayer, of course. And and we know that God doesn't work that way. For whatever reason, God doesn't give us all the details. It's like he wants us to think for ourselves. But nonetheless, we're not left in the dark. We are left with wisdom from God. We are given wisdom. We are left, sometimes God can speak through other people, experts who give us advice. And a few weeks ago when we preached on Jethro, we talked about advice and how to discern good advice from bad advice. And we talked about how there's no 100%, there's not a 100% guarantee that we're going to be right. But we read scripture, we pray, we seek wisdom, we discern, we ask others, we hear advice from experts. And then eventually we have to take a step of faith. You know, I kind of view it as being like when you're driving a car late at night. And the headlights, they, they see ahead a little bit, maybe a mile or two sometimes even less on a foggy day, and if the fog's thick enough, you might barely be able to see in front of the hood. You know, we would like for the headlights to be able to show us all the way to our destination, but it doesn't work that way. Headlights just show us what's right ahead so that we can drive a little further, and then when we drive a little further, the headlights will show us the next mile or two further ahead. And that's how it is with God, I think. I think oftentimes God doesn't show us the whole thing. And by the way, even though the Hebrew people had detailed instructions on the tabernacle, uh, God did not show them the promised land and how to get there and how it was, was all going to work out. They didn't know the destination yet or how it would work. 
And in the same way, God doesn't show us all the way to the end. He doesn't show us all the, give us all the details or show us the destination. Oftentimes, God just gives us the next few steps that we need to take ahead. And when we see the light of those next few steps, we take them. And then we wait until we see the light for the next steps ahead. The problem is, as we go through our own wilderness period, oftentimes as we're driving at night, it's a foggy night. It's very foggy. In other words, we're going through times right now where we don't even know what the next step is to take. And that can be scary. But nonetheless, we know that we have God with us. We know that we have the resources I talked about, prayer, scripture reading, discernment, advice from others. And then we have to take a step of faith. And hopefully, if we continue with God, then we know that even when we are going through that foggy time and we can barely see the step ahead, God is with us in the fog. In fact, God is not only with us in the fog, he's already at the destination too, and he's leading the way. So as we continue in our journey of wilderness, may God bless you. Uh, May you know that God is near and that even if you only know the next step, to take that next step, and even when you're not sure what that next step is, to continue to know, to know that God is with you in the fog. Amen. God bless and have a great week.